Welcome to Strictly Anime, a podcast for anime reviews and discussions by casuals for casuals. My name is Courtney. And I am Carl. This is the Attack on Titan special event. In honor of the epic conclusion to the show that defines this generation of anime, we're reviewing every single episode of the final season. This week, we're reviewing episode 68, Brave Volunteers. As always, there'll be spoilers about anything that's happened previously in Attack on Titan, so you've been warned. So we finally get to take a breather this week after three weeks of very intense, action-packed episodes. Yeah, and we finally get the answer to our most burning question. What have the scouts been up to since the four-year time skip? And that's one of the things that I've just been dying to know. So this was a very, very satisfying episode. And what more of a perfect format than a filler episode, right? But is it a filler? Because I feel like this is important information for the the story progression. I mean, yeah, it's it's not like a filler, like like a one piece filler. Um, but with this episode, it, it serves like as a again a denouement um, because of all the intensity of the last three episodes, and it does fill in the gaps and provides more context to. Again, what you said with the scouts and what they've been up to, as well as the defection of Zeke, Yelena, and Onyankopon. Um, and giving the scouts proper closure to Sasha's death, as I had foreseen um, in last week's podcast episode. Yeah, I mean, if anything, it just gives us, a, like you said, a breather. Because, as I mentioned a couple episodes ago, if this season continues on the same trajectory we will all die of heart attacks by the end of the show like it's just been so crazy so wild so like up here all the time and not that that's a bad thing at all but it is nice to have a little bit of a reprieve and one thing that was interesting about this episode uh since it takes place in the past or three years before the present day um, it's interesting to see mappa's interpretation of the scouts as they had appeared in that time period, um, which we are all familiar with uh, through Wit Studio. Um, it felt like it was a nice blend of what Wit Studio had established with the series while still taking MAPPA's own approach of being faithful again to the, um, the writer Isayama's vision. I don't know if you had gotten those vibes as well. Oh, for sure. I really, really appreciated that. I, I agree with you that that was really nice of them to do. Um, I feel like everyone was pretty much on point. I mean, obviously, they were drawn in the new style, but the hair, the clothes, everything was very reminiscent of seasons one through three, with the exception of Flock's haircut. They had the same haircut, just better. It wasn't like a fucking dead animal on his head, as we've described before. It was more like you still get that weird, like circular hair pattern on the top of his head, but it didn't look as ugly. He he definitely still had the glow up going on. Because <laughs> his hair had seen some things. Yeah. After you know Aaron's suicide charge and and the Beast Titans decimation of their of their scouts. It gave up after all of that. Yeah. And I guess Armin looked less like a stupid page boy. Um, I did notice that. Um, but he still looked a little bit like a stupid page yeah. boy. <laughs> and I think the only instance where they actually used Wit Studios footage uh, was in the, I guess you could call it like government hall where the military was meeting and Aaron was talking about having um, used Dina Fritz's royal blood and punching her to activate the founding titans power um i believe that was all original footage from the earlier season 
I think they're if that is the case, you can tell they were trying to cover that up a little bit because it had such a heavy filter over the whole thing. Like for a flashback, it just had such a again a heavy filter on it compared to all the other flashbacks that we've seen in the show. But I get it if if they're reusing footage from another studio, they may want to just make it appear a little less obvious. Mm -hmm. But let's get into it. As always, take us through the synopsis of episode sixty eight. All right, so let's jump right into Season 4, Episode 68, Brave Volunteers. Armin speaks out into a dark void with magic conch shell in hand and recounts events from three years ago to fill in the blanks as a courtesy to us loyal anime watchers. We learn that one of Marley's first scouting ships sent to parodies was betrayed by Yelena and Yonyankopon, members of the anti-Marlian volunteers sent by Zeke who are trying to fuck the system, provide Marlian intel to the scouts, and tell him of Zeke's plan to free the Eldian people using Eren's founding titan power and his own royal blood. Metal Gear Hans tries convincing the parody's brass to go with Zeke's plan, but they are still pretty sus considering he literally rocked their asses not too long ago. However, Eren has big brain time and deduces that Zeke wants to circumvent King Fritz's renunciation of war by using the founding titan power through Eren to awaken the millions of titans inside the walls and fight for Eldian freedom in Zawardo. The Brass cautiously agrees to work with Zeke and the Volunteers, spooking more scouting ships into submission with the help of Armin and his colossal titan Tipos, and using their know-how to build up Paradis's military strength. The scouts learn more about the cultures of the outside world, and a then-alive Sasha in particular ravenously learns of the cuisines of the outside world thanks to POW Niccolo's cooking mama skills. Armin wonders if Paradis can establish diplomatic international relations to clear the air about Eldians, but Eren says, fuck that noise, he's ready for some click-clack. Back in present day, the scouts struggle to cope with Sasha's death. Chef Niccolo pays his favorite deceased patron a visit at the cemetery and invites her family for a meal at his restaurant on the house. Levi escorts Zeke to his luxurious and fully furnished hotel room in the middle of the goddamn woods and ignores his requests to see Eren. Yelena delivers Titan Serum stolen from Marley to not discount Pixis, who has her and the volunteers detained as a precaution. Gung-Ho Gabby and Falco Punch are somewhere I could give zero fucks about. And lastly, it is revealed that Armin has been talking to Annie Leonhardt, still encased in her crystal shell, as he accepts the way that the Paradise marley conflict played out, but questions whether or not Aaron has gone crazy. And if Aaron's fanservice dungeon bathroom soliloquy about victory at all costs is any indication, yeah, that guy's probably a fucking psycho. Right out of the gate, let's talk about Hanj. She stole the show in this episode. Mm -hmm. She was just on point every moment. I mean, she came in with that grand entrance, and, and she's just the energy that we need right now in the show. Yeah, again, it was great to have her as a sort of comic relief after all the emotions that we've experienced uh, the past couple of weeks. Um, like you said, there was the grand entrance where she showed her or put her full quirkiness that we've come to know and love on display. And I especially love that she stares point blank down the barrel of a Marley pistol. Um, I think it opens up with a shot of her eye um, looking through this hole. And then it not zooms out, but it cuts and it reveals that it's just a pistol that she's staring down into. It's just amazing. <laughs> yeah, it's almost like that photo of um, was it Luke Skywalker staring directly into a lightsaber. Um, we had no gun discipline, but also no fear from Hanj. And the way the scouts greeted each ship was just absolutely hilarious. I mean, they could have taken that situation 
in any direction. I mean, they were, you know, kind of moving in with force, obviously, because they didn't know how much of a threat the Marley and soldiers would be, but they took it as lighthearted as possible. And I love that first instance of, of the ships arriving uh, after Aaron, as the attack Titan, picks up the ship and, and kind of puts it on land. Um, because it's so it's so interesting to see the attack titan that subdued just chilling in the background it's a rare sight nowadays because usually aaron's going in like guns blazing even though it's more like fist blazing so i really enjoyed that and then of course the the further on in the episode levi is also kind of getting in on on the fun and I don't know what he says. Something along the lines of like, welcome to the island of devils. You're going to love it here. Like, okay, Levi. <laughs> yeah, I would say he is the second character who, to have stolen this episode. Um, because I, I wrote here that he kind of acts like a dad with like all these subtle dad jokes. <laughs> um, like you said, when he greeted the shipwrecked Marlians, he says, yeah, welcome to the filthy island of filthy devils. You're going to love it as long as you like pig piss, which is a reference to something... Um, a soldier said on the first scouting ship. Um, so, yeah, he's another character that just provides some great comic relief in this episode. And then a little bit further on, we get um, the meeting between Hanj, Levi, Yelena, and Onion Coupon. Um, so, again, there's that moment where Hanj is just absolutely fascinated by the gun, is staring directly down the um, the barrel. But also, she she can't contain her excitement when she hears about airships that travel by air or attack by air is a possibility for everyone pretty much outside of paradise um this is a very interesting conversation for a couple of different reasons first off yelena kind of explaining that the pure titans are the reason that paradise has been kind of protected was interesting like i never really thought about the pure titans deterring the marley army because really they don't know how to fight them and we saw we've we've really never seen them fight pure titans before they've just been fighting other countries through the use of titans um and then on the flip on the flip side the pure titans are protecting parodies ironically from external threats so i just like it was a very fascinating thing that i I had never even thought about until that moment um and then we also got the reveal of yelena and onion coupon not being secret agents so they're just people who had their homes taken by marley and were forced to be soldiers so that shows that marley is kind of out of control and, and power hungry um, and not only doing wrong by Eldians, but but really others. Along those lines, it's kind of fascinating that I actually noticed this through our second watch through um, that I think the scouts had no idea that um, Yelena and the volunteers were actually going to turn on the um, Marlian scouting ship and then divulge so much intel to them. Um, but... Yeah, in terms of the whole thing with Marley not being able to establish a land invasion of Paradise, and the fact that, you know, I think the rest of the world saw how Marley was weakened when Paradise ended up stealing two of their Titan powers and taking that opportunity to engage in war with Marley, it's kind of like Marley just shot themselves in the foot by instigating this whole conflict. And aren't the pure titans on Paradise because of Marley? Like, don't they punish Eldians by transforming them into pure titans and then letting them loose on Paradise? Yeah, that, that's all Marley. So it's just, yeah, I agree. It's crazy that, like, they can't even fulfill their goal of obtaining the founding titan and attacking Paradise because of their own choice to send pure titans over there. Um, and, you know, the pure titans might be a menace to Paradise, but it's also keeping them safe from from the rest of the world. Yeah. 
And actually, now that you mention um, those pure titans, again, being sent by Marley, there are a lot of callbacks in this episode. And going back to the first scene where we see the scouting ship being lifted by Aaron's attack titan, um, I think it's important to call that particular scene out because it's a blatant reference to Aaron Kruger's attack titan who had actually picked up a Marley scout or a Marley ship um, back in season three um, alongside their ports where they were they were punishing all the Eldians and turning them into Titans. History repeats itself. I actually had to look that up because I I need to rewatch um, a lot of the show, especially the um, the several episodes we get with Grisha's backstory and how he came to be on parodies because mm-hmm. i i that whole thing is very very fuzzy to me so yeah it was kind of cool looking up those pictures and seeing the the direct contrast between aaron kruger and aaron jaeger meister man jensen or whatever <laughs> but yelena talks about the anti-marley force and that their goal is to save the eldian race i'm kind of wondering like how will this all play out when aaron and possibly zeke kind of want to reestablish this like Eldian Empire and possibly Eldian Supremacy. I know Aaron, it seems like Aaron wants to establish some sort of Eldian Supremacy, but maybe Zeke is a little less like harsh about his goals. Because um, if if these are non-Eldian, anti-Marley people, that means, you know, Aaron and Zeke will be indebted to them. And, and there's got to be some sort of like mutual agreement to save certain people um, you know, while attacking others from those same countries. It's just like a very, it's going to make for a very unique situation, I feel like, down the road. Yeah, because I'm sure Yelena and the rest of these volunteers are well aware of Eldia's history, and especially the history of the Titans. But it's, I think one line that kind of sticks out is that she mentioned seeing Zeke's beast titan form and revering it almost as if it were a god. Which is kind of how the Eldians were treated back in the day, right? Like when they kind of take us through the history of uh, of Eldia and and the main Titans, like people who were non-Eldians almost kind of saw them as gods. So she's kind of embodying that, I feel like. I always thought like throughout history, Titans were feared as like monsters. I think, okay, I could be wrong, but I think that happened after the Eldians got power hungry and started to like break out into a civil war and then like, start to destroy everybody um outside of Eldia I don't know I th- I think at one point though they they were seen as gods but again I could be totally wrong I'll need to look that up yeah I think there are a lot of like hypocrisies and contradictions with all of this history between Marlion and Eldia because obviously at first the Eldians were at the height of power with their titan abilities then they had infighting then when they were infighting Miley or Marley filled in the power vacuum and then they got power hungry and so it's just the cycle that's continuing to repeat itself. Um, so, yeah, like you said, with the outcome, whatever the outcome is with these volunteers helping the Eldian side, what's going to happen when that power kind of reverses? And actually, I want to backtrack one more time with the, I think this is like a constant theme of callbacks throughout the episode. Um, I think we forgot to mention at the very beginning when Armin's kind of talking to no one talking to his seashell that he's yeah. petting <laughs> actually that seashell is also a callback because i believe it's the same shell that he picks up in the season three finale when they reach um the sea um so it harkens back to like armin's fascination with the oceans or with the sea or the ocean and it also 
I think symbolizes like his aspirations for like a brighter horizon for parodies and for Eldians as a whole, which we'll see later on in this episode when he um, has his discussion with Mikasa-san Eren. And I guess in a way, like once we find out that it's Annie that he's talking to, that shell is also analogous to the shell that she's encased in. Um, so I just wanted to point that out before we get too far ahead in this episode. And speaking of Annie, guess who's back? Not Annie, because we don't care about her. It's motherfucking Pixies. He's back. Not discount Pixies this time. This is the, the genuine Pixie. That guy is still alive. Like, that's that's impressive. Because he's, he's alive, obviously, in the flashback, but he's also alive in present day. Like, he's old as fuck. Like, Pixies is old as fuck, and he is still alive, and it's fantastic. Yeah, that guy ain't retiring. He's He's got a, a conflict to, to oversee. I really, really love, I think that my favorite scene of um, this episode, well, actually two two favorite scenes, this is one of them, um, is Sasha asking Onion Coupon why he's dark-skinned, which was just so great. And not just specifically that part, but the whole scene about uh, everyone from Paradise just being absolutely fascinated with everything that the Marlian soldiers are telling them and showing them, like everything that the outside world has that they don't have. Um, but particularly that part with Sasha and Onion Coupon was great because Onion Coupon took it like a champ and had such a wonderful and wholesome response that no one really questioned and that everyone happily accepted and was in absolute awe of. And he, I think he fully understood that it was an innocent question stemming from genuine curi- curiosity. Um, plus, like this, as well as, as always, Honda's reaction to learning about like the airships, all of that puts things into into further perspective that the scouts and the people of Paradise have really been sheltered away, living in this bubble with no clue what the greater world is like. Um, so Onion Coupon, after seeing that scene, is just so fucking wholesome, and I'm here for it. Yeah, I think that all of that is just meant to symbolize, like, the um, Eldians are trying to realize that, you know, these people from across the sea, for the longest time, they've, well, not that they've been aware that there are people beyond the sea, but now that they do know they've been fearing them as you know like enemies or or rivals to them but like with Onyankopun kind of being so cordial and friendly with with the scouts it shows that you know everyone here they really aren't any different from each other um the only thing that really defers them is this insane titan power but other than that it's like they breathe the same air they have families and and so on and so forth and overall, like it, it took time for both sides to be able to trust each other. As Armin points out when he, Mikasa, and Eren are at the shooting range. Um, and again, I feel like Hanj, being the star of this episode, kind of seems like one of the secret links to bridging everyone together. Because as Armin's talking about, um, talking about, you know, everyone kind of learning about each other and, and building that trust, you get those, those like, I don't know if it's like cards or what you call them, but just like those still images of like Han, montage. yeah, like a montage of um, Han kind of being fascinated by this wooden train that um, one of the Marley soldiers is showing her. Because I don't think anyone knows in, in parodies what a train is, so I think they're showing her the concept of trains and, and her fearlessness of people who are different and her fascination with the advanced technology that that you know the rest of the world has. I think really impresses the Marley soldiers and kind of shows that. She's almost not like a kid, but just has this like innocent 
like a sense of wonder. Yeah, like a sense of wonder. And she's just like a very happy person who's non-threatening, basically. Um, so she's not the only link, of course. Like you've got that moment with Sasha and Nicolo, which we'll talk about in a little bit. Um, but I think she's she's really a driving force with kind of getting the Marley soldiers to feel more comfortable being in the enemy territory and, and understanding that they these people aren't the devils that, that they've been, you know, taught to believe. Now that I think about it, and this is just an aside, but... Uh, this portion of the episode kind of reminds me of if anyone's heard of that island. I think it's off the Indian, uh, off the coast of India, where it's an island full of these again not savage people, but people who have been untouched by modern society. So I guess very a tribal people, and you know even whenever people try to go into the island, they're either fended off with with their like primitive weapons. Uh, I feel like that that was parodies um, like three years ago before they found out about um, the whole other side of the world. Um, I don't know. I was just randomly thinking about that as I was watching this episode. That is kind of like a, a real world kind of tie in to this because, yeah, they, they just had no clue. And I, th- I don't remember who it was, either like Nicolo or maybe Onion Coupon commenting on like their not their ignorance, but just um their their lack of access to knowledge um and their lack of awareness to everything that's going on around them it's it's as we said before it's almost like innocent um kind of them learning about everything else that's out there so yeah i just really i really love that we got those moments um throughout this episode because i think sometimes at least i forget that there is that huge divide between what the people of parodies are aware of and then what the rest of the world knows Mm mm-hmm but in that same scene at the shooting range, um, I think Aaron asked Armin if he's seen anything in Bertolt's memories. And Armin said, no, like, not really, or nothing helpful. And I'm like, really, Armin? Really? There's nothing helpful that you've learned from Bertolt's memories when literally all of his memories since, you know, early childhood have been, you know, part of the Marley army as a warrior? Like, to me, I- I'm not convinced. I feel like he's hiding something so that maybe he won't add fuel to Aaron's fire. But I'm like, there's literally no way. Like, the only thing Bertolt ever knew since, again, being, like, a young child is being a soldier of Marley and being a Titan wielder and all that stuff. Yeah, it's kind of weird because at the end of the episode when he's talking to Annie, he says then, like, he understands the choices that they had to make after Aaron's attack on Marley. Like, why wouldn't he have understood that, again, being the inheritor of the Colossal Titan, and bearing all of Bertolt's memories before that. I mean, even Galliard could see something as specific as, like, his brother's death, like, up until that moment, um, Marcel's death when he got eaten by Ymir. Um, so I don't know. I just – and it, I know it takes time. You know, like, Aaron obviously had, like, very piecemeal, like, fuzzy memories from his dad um, early on. But I don't know, man. Like, I was just like, really, Armin? That just seems very – unbelievable <laughs> i think on the other side of the coin like armin of the trio or i guess between him and Aaron represents the more hopeful um in terms of securing a brighter future for parodies and for eldians while Aaron kind of sees everything coldly or very not realistically but more bluntly in that you know we can all try to be happy hunky-dory and hold hands and have world peace but the reality is there's this whole world out there that views parodies as an enemy yeah exactly like in in this same scene we get that 
um, that conversation kind of unfolding and, and we, we get a sense of Armin and Naren's ideologies really clashing. Um, as you've noted, Armin wants to take the slow diplomatic approach and prove to the world that Eldians aren't bad. Mm-hmm. And then Aaron sees the clock ticking, particularly with an impending attack from Marley and Zeke's contract ending soon. So he wants to move quickly and by force. Um, plus, it seems that Aaron is kind of giving into the way that the world views Eldians as like monsters who can turn into titans. He's like, they're not wrong. I'm like, well, maybe the monster part. <laughs> I don't know. Um, but... Armin keeps asking throughout this episode, you know, could there have been some other path? Was this the right choice? And I'm like, that is a great question, Armin. I'm pretty sure, like, at that scene at the shooting range, it establishes, like, I think that point was where Aaron wanted to take his own infiltration plan into action. Yeah, and Armin acknowledges later in the episode when he's talking to his seashell pet and uh, and to Annie that um magic con shell. He has magic con shell and to Annie um that he knew that Aaron was gonna do it either way. He was gonna go and, and follow through with his plan either way. So they didn't have to help him. Um but it seemed like the best choice would be to help him. Um but in the in the scene at the shooting range you also get that sense that Armin and Mikasa are feeling this change in Aaron and feeling like he's almost becoming unrecognizable. And that's something that Armin actually comments on as he's kind of recapping what happened that like he just he felt like even though he thought he knew Aaron better than even Mikasa because obviously they they grew up together um in that moment he started to not feel like he knew him as well and actually to make another callback this scene and the shooting range between the three of them kind of reminds me of the scene in the final episode of season three where Armin and Mikasa are kind of enjoying themselves on the beach once they reach the sea. And then Aaron kind of comes in as a Debbie Downer and points out, like, are there enemies across the sea? Um, so it's it was an innocent question back then. But with this scene at the shooting range, I think you start to delve more into Aaron's, I guess, psychotic nature coming out. Um I think even at the end of this episode when we see him kind of wash his face and he kind of recites that mantra of, you know, we, in order to win, we need to fight. It's just him diving deeper into this into this psychotic way of thinking. And the last thing I want to call out about the, the shooting range scene is the transition that we get of Aaron firing the gun and then us seeing Sasha get shot. Um, on the the airship it i think it implies that he's directly tied to her death while he didn't actually shoot her um his choices and actions led to her death which you know um john and and connie kind of put out there bluntly in the last episode so i i this whole shooting range scene it's nice to see the three of them back together but well i guess it's a flashback but but i think overall it was not the exciting um, you know, main trio scene that, that I've been looking for anyway. And I think you can also interpret that transition as, you know, it seems like the cycle of violence is doomed to repeat itself um, if Aaron continues down this trajectory. Then we arrive to the cemetery scene. Um, and first off, it's interesting to see Marley soldiers kind of getting a taste of their own medicine seeing what it's like to be discriminated against because we see some old dude um, beating up Niccolo for being a Marley soldier in a cemetery where many of those parody soldiers died at the hands of Marley. 
Um, except I think the difference here is that in Paradise, that that discrimination is happening far less often and far less severely than what we're seeing um, in Marley for the Eldians in Liberio. Um, I also saw it as kind of like a hypocrisy in how Paradise is treating Marleyans. Again, how similar it is to how Marleyans are basically treating Eldians. Um, because even with again people trying to bridge gaps, discrimination still knows no borders, unfortunately. I agree. And I will say that, you know, Aaron calls out that there's a lot of Marley soldiers still in cells. That I understand because they could actually be a threat until they kind of open up their eyes and become accepting of the Paradis people. So I don't think it's necessarily they're being held in cells because they're Marleyan, but they're being held in cells because they're Marley soldiers who pose a threat to the people of Paradis. So that's the only caveat to that is I agree that there is definitely hypocrisy here in terms of that discri discrimination. Um, but I also think it's some people are still just being very cautious, as we'll see as the episode continues. Mm -hmm. And I want to ask this question. Is Niccolo Sasha's love interest or was he rather when, when she was alive? Um, because if so, I'm here for it. Not only because I love Sasha, but also mm. because it kind of shows that Marley and Paradise can bridge that gap and can look past all the propaganda um, and can find true love, I guess. I mean, he did blush when she was just gushing over the food he made. I noted that in the second, in our second watch through. Um, and then he does invite her family to dinner on the house, almost like asking for their blessing or um, something in, in confessing his love for her. I mean, I didn't really get that vibe, but piecing together what happens in this episode, I, I could see that. Um, the other thing I like about Niccolo is like his... He has a very short story arc in this episode where at first he, in the, um, the first scene, he's telling his commander like to shoot these parodies devils. Then you have that scene where he's cooking the food for Sasha and the rest of the scouts and he realizes, you know, that he's being appreciated by them. And then you have this scene in the cemetery where, uh, again, he, unfortunately he's getting beat up by the military police, but John and Connie come to his rescue and he comes to the cemetery because he's grieving over Sasha's death, even though originally he viewed her as, you know, a devil of parodies. So as much as there is hypocrisy in how the Eldians, especially the military police officer, had treated him as a Marleyan, you see how Niccolo has grown and developed himself and come to accept the people he once knew as enemies as, as friends because he's obviously distraught of her death. He's the perfect example of that. He's the perfect example of what could be, um, what Armin's, you know, kind of path would have been like. And I hope we see more of him. Uh, I do really like his character, and I hope that he plays a bigger part in kind of what's to come for Paradise and Marley. And I did see a fan theory that um, if Sasha and Niccolo did have some sort of love connection, there's like the speculation that Sasha's last words were had a double meaning of both meat as Niku, but also as like Niccolo. Because if you think Niccolo, you can shorten that to Nick. And if you pronounce that in a Japanese way, it's Niku. So Niku meat, Niku Nick, Niccolo. She wants his meat. <laughs> <laughs> or that too. But <laughs> from a, a more wholesome, you know, yeah. point of view, it's like to keep it PG thirteen. Yeah, she she's calling out his name because she had feelings for him and 
you know, besides wanting to eat meat, she also wants to be with him. I don't know. I just thought it was cute. I have no clue if that's the case, but I just, I thought that was cute. And of course, we all want the best for Sasha and for her to have happiness and lots of food. And that would have been a match made in heaven. And if not, you know, we have our headcanon. This is true. The, the headcanon never fails, okay? You can always rely on headcanon. I did also note that um, when Niccolo's grieving at Sasha's grave and Connie comes over to talk to him, um, Connie thanked Niccolo for cooking Sasha, you know, so much tasty food. And that was like hit right in the feels because they know how much she loved eating. Her last words were, I think, more obviously, you know, meat or whatever. Um, and it's just of all the things Connie could have said to Niccolo, that's what he chose to say because he's he's just ha- he has this special bond with her. And he even says to Niccolo that they were like twins. And I was just like, oh, my God, my heart. Like he sees her and John as more than just best friends, but actual family. And I think Connie lost his family back in the village. I know we see his mom turned into a titan, but I think the rest of his family is also gone. So that's. It just emphasizes how important, um, you know, the two of them are to Connie and, and vice versa. And I think it was important for us as the audience to see that because at the end of the last episode, um, we just see Connie announcing Sasha's death and we don't really see him coping with it. But as we mentioned at the beginning of this podcast episode, um, Brave Volunteers here gives us the opportunity to see these characters have some sort of closure with Sasha's death. And we also see we also see Jean take um, somewhat responsibility for her death because he says, you know, it's it's my fault. I wasn't paying attention. And I'm like, I get that, but I don't I don't totally blame Jean. I, I think there was just so much commotion and so much going on that it just is unfortunate what happened. And really quick, just to continue with the theme of callbacks, I do want to point out that Sasha's family, once they reach the cemeteries, actually accompanied by a girl that Sasha had saved from a Titan years ago. And I think this happened either in season two or season three as a flashback. Um, I'm pretty sure like they took that girl in as family. So it was nice to see that she had grown up and that whole subplot had become full circle um, now that they have to, or now that they're mourning over Sasha's death. I had heard about that and I needed to go look at that up because again, it's such a minor detail in this whole show that I was like, I don't remember this girl. She's, she's important. People are talking about her. I don't remember her. So I went back and looked at it and it was nice to kind of, as you said, see that come full circle. And overall, this whole scene was just fantastic. As you, you mentioned earlier, um, Sasha's dad, just having zero hesitation in accepting, um, Nicolo's invitation to eat a lot of the food that Sasha loved was just was perfect. I think it was a very nice way to kind of end Sasha's story. Um, I'm sure we'll have more of her. I hope we have more flashbacks, but in that way, it's it's almost like giving closure to us as the audience. Mm-hmm. And then we move on to the lovely carriage scene between Levi and Zeke. And as I've said multiple times, I loved Hanjin's episode and I love Levi in this episode. Um, he was just playing it cool the whole time in his interactions with Zeke, just really kind of applying the pressure, giving him the chills. And I really think that the Zeke and Levi dynamic has to be my new favorite relationship in Attack on Titan. I think my second favorite is probably Sasha and that potato sergeant who like yells at her, especially when she doesn't give him half of that potato. It was barely half. <laughs> I don't even know that guy's name. I just think of him as potato sergeant because she's potato girl. Um, but I think that has been kind of 
pushed down one notch and replaced with Zeke and Levi because I cannot get enough of their dynamic. It's absolutely fantastic. Yeah, I think if Zeke and Levi were to ever have a buddy cop spinoff show, I would definitely watch because their interaction is just great in, in this carriage scene. And I think of the two scenes we've seen so far of them in this season, albeit they're kind of brief, they're just very excellently written and it just perfectly encapsulates their kind of subdued loathing of each other now that they have to act as, you know, co-workers. Or on the flip side, the sexual tension between the two of them. I'm kidding. Nah, I'm kidding, but, you know. Keep it PG-13. <laughs> um, and I also just love, you know, the comedic timing of the very end of the scene where Le uh, Zeke and Levi just stare at each other and then Zeke says, can you please stop glaring at me? And then it just cuts. <laughs> That and then a little bit later when they arrive to Zeke's quote unquote hotel and his reaction to seeing the, the forest be like, this is my hotel. <laughs> like it was just great because Zeke's pretty much been a very like straight laced character, very serious. And he just had such a funny reaction to being dropped off at his new hotel. I think that's another example of uh, Levi being a dad here because him calling it a hotel is basically a dad joke. And he says, you know, I think you'd be comfortable here amongst all the trees because he, <laughs> he's a beast titan. Oh, it, Levi's so dumb. <laughs> but honestly, it is smart. I mean, it's probably the safest place to keep him. He's far away from any of the towns. Um, and as he notes, it's very easy to use ODM, ODM gear in those trees. So it's it's a smart decision, albeit a very funny one. And these last couple of scenes kind of move quickly. So then we get the um, the part where... We see the Titan serum or whatever it is, and Yelena and Onion Coupon and a group of the Marley soldiers um, delivering it, what seems to, to Pixies and his his group, and they're being held by gunpoint. And I thought Yelena, she, I've already started to really like her character. She's growing on me very, very quickly, despite her whack haircut. She's kind of like um, the Brienne of Tarth. Yeah, that's a good way to describe it. Of, yeah, of Attack on Titan. And she, she's honestly a champ in this moment because she understands why Paradis needs to keep them hostage now that Zeke has arrived, um, at least just until they feel comfortable with his plan. She doesn't even put up a fight. She does remind them that they've, you know, been nothing but, you know, great to the people of Paradis over the last three years. But she finishes it by saying, you know, she looks forward to dining at the same table again. She gets it. It takes time to build and earn trust. And she's not offended. It's nothing personal. It's just playing it safe. See, that scene kind of got me uneasy because it made me think, can the volunteers and I guess Zeke truly be trusted? I don't know, something about the way Yelena was speaking to Pixies, it, it seemed something wasn't right. And I hope my hunch is wrong, but I hope that, you know, Pixies, 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 <laughs> precaution to, to detain the volunteers. I hope it doesn't come back to like bite the scouts in the ass. Um, I do agree, though. She did have kind of like a weird smirk when she said she looks forward to dining at the same table again. Yeah. Um, but I want to believe. I just want to believe right. there's somebody you can fully trust in the show. Mm -hmm. Then we get Armin kind of talking over all of these rapid fire scenes. And he says, we killed any hope for peace, but we had no choice. Just like you guys on that day. And I'm like, 
this is the he he understands it like everything that that we've been mentioning that you've been mentioning about the the cycle of violence repeating itself he sees it he gets it he's like this is no better than what you guys did back when we were kids um but what other choice did we have just like what other choice did you guys have in that moment when you had families to protect and people back home that were relying on you Mm mm-hmm and then the next rapid fire scene is what we've uh, what you mentioned earlier is that parallel scene between Mikasa and Aaron where um, it mirrors that scene from season one where Aaron saves uh, Mikasa when they were kids, basically saying that winning means living, losing means dying, and therefore they have to fight. Yeah, I think that's the last callback in this episode. And we see Mikasa at Sasha's grave wrapped up in her scarf from Aaron. Um, it's almost like she misses her friend. And by friend, I mean both Sasha because she's at the the graveyard, um, but also Aaron. It, I kind of got this sense of like whenever she does this thing where she like wraps herself up and then kind of like holds the scarf up to her mouth. I feel like she's like thinking about Aaron in that moment. And I think because in the earlier scene, she seems uneasy with the way or the flashback rather. She seems uneasy with the way Aaron is kind of behaving and, and the choices he wants to make. I think this is her kind of maybe signaling that she's still uneasy with what lies ahead and kind of what Aaron has become and what he's done. Although it's interesting to note again, I saw this in, or I noticed this in our second watch through. Um, she starts off with that quote. The quote is, if you win, you live. If you lose, you die. If you don't fight, you can't win. Um, but she, I think she, ble- I believe she says the first sentence of, if you win, you live. But as you were saying, I think it's her trying to grapple with the fact that she, Aaron's not who he is anymore and she kind of says it with a very defeated tone whereas Aaron is saying it again as a mantra that he wants to stick by and he's kind of like has this tunnel vision of what he wants to do in this conflict and Mikasa's kind of holding on to hope that he'll come back plus she's so loyal to him I mean he he did save her life and Awaken. So we we rewatched that scene where Aaron saves Mikasa when they were kids, and you get this like crazy kind of like zap effect that like something clicks in her brain, and like she just goes full Ackerman. Like she's terrified, and then like the flip, the switch flips, and then she just becomes like full on Ackerman and says like she never felt any fear and had total control over her body. He like helped awaken the Ackerman in her in that moment. So I think she's loyal to him in that sense, but. At the same time, I feel like she's repaid any debt because she has saved his ass time and time again. <laughs> mm-hmm. And maybe she wants to reawaken the Aaron in him. Yeah, maybe he'll he'll have a, a moment where a switch flips in his head and he starts screaming again because he has been very subdued. It's just weird. He's not the same screaming kid that we once knew. Mm-hmm. And then lastly with Aaron, we see he's finally shaved off that really sad mustache goatee thing that he had going on. And I'm like, thank the Lord. It looks so bad. Now we just need John to do the same thing because it's just, it's very distracting. I don't like it. And Reiner too, by the way. You know, it's it's the scruff of war. It's it, That has to be your battle scars. You got to show it to everyone on parodies. It's just, <laughs> it's just sad. Like at least Zeke has a full on beard going on. They're just like these young kids who can't quite grow enough facial hair and i'm like i don't know just just shave it off just get rid of it man you've got so much going on right now the last thing you need to worry about is growing a beard no and the final scene of this episode is the annie reveal um and the only thing i thought of when i saw her was 
does she possess the key to never aging? Is it just staying in a crystal form forever and then you'll just live forever and never age? Because the only thing that looks different about her is like her bangs grew a little bit, even though she's been in that, that shell for well over four years. So I'm like, is that the key to never aging? Just stay in a crystal if you have a Titan power and then you never have to get older. But then, yeah, why is why is her hair growing? <laughs> yeah. Also, how is there space for her hair to grow? Because I imagine if like the crystal is solid, there's like no space for anything to move or to grow. I don't know. Maybe I'm just thinking about it like way too literally. But yeah, I was just like, she looks exactly the same. No change. And also, how has she been, you know, sustaining herself? Like she's not taking in any food or anything. Again, it's the the key to immortality. Oh, it's probably because of the regeneration power. Hmm. I'm I'm gonna guess it probably plays some factor into that. Um, but yeah, I don't know. She's back, I guess. Yeah, it'll be interesting now that Aaron has the Warhammer. No, wait, no, never mind. <laughs> he doesn't have the Jaw Titan power. Oh yeah, about like cracking Annie out of that shell. I was thinking about yeah. that too. He's got to get that power somehow. So you can break Annie out of there and then... Unless he just uses the hammer, <laughs> the Warhammer, and just constantly whacks at her crystal shell. That's a that's actually a good question. I wonder if the Warhammer Titan could do that because it does use the hardening ability to make its weapon. So it's technically... Like, the weapons are technically as hard as Annie's shell, right? Mm-hmm. But who knows? I don't know. They'll probably do something to try and crack her out of there. Or maybe she'll just wake up and then go on a rampage like she did before. <laughs> Last thing before we go into our final thoughts, there was no new OP. Oh, yeah, that's right. We were speculating if this is, you know, the halfway point, if there would be a new OP with, yeah. you know, Linked Horizon. Yeah, no no Linked Horizon theme. What gives? It just feels wrong. Like, it just feels so wrong. You've had them do these epic openings for the entire series so far, and then you, you give us this. Now, granted, I am happy that MAPPA gave us an opening that basically doesn't spoil anything because all the rest of them have. Um, but it just feels wrong that it's not a Linked Horizon opening. I think, actually, I was looking up, like, if there were any news articles or posts about whether or not Linked Horizon was going to make one final stand for this season. There's nothing on, on the internet about them. But my hope is that, you know, is probably keeping their op if it exists like a tightly wound secret and hopefully they're, they're saving it for the episodes where presumably you know the war to end all titan wars takes place i hope so because mappa has done a phenomenal job of like really being true to attack on titan and everything that studio wit has done so i would just really love if they also had this come come full circle because this is kind of like that missing piece of the puzzle like every every week you know I'm, I'm happy to listen to the opening i know i didn't like it at first but it did grow on me but it just doesn't feel like an attack on titan opening mm -hmm. and i think you know like the fans on the internet are clamoring for it but there's just been no official word so just like armin i'm, I'm gonna hold out hope yeah, Linked Horizon has always done a fantastic job. I mean, the what which season was it? The Shinzo Sasageo song? Uh, that was season two. Yeah, that that opening, season two opening, is pretty much like the national anthem of anime. You, it doesn't get any better than that. So we need to have more Linked Horizon. For sure. 
And with that, let's go into our final thoughts. So for episode 68, Brave Volunteers, how many Airs and Zeeks out of 10 would you give this episode? I would give it a 9 out of 10 because it just answered so many questions that I've been asking over the last several weeks. Um, it it was a nicely paced episode um, that I think set up more pressing questions for the future of the show and the story. Um, but it's not like the most amazing episode that blew me away. I can't give it the full 10 out of 10 like I did some of the previous episodes because I just wasn't wowed by it. Even though it's it's not because it's a slower episode, it's just because it didn't you know have that punch to the face, that, that wow factor that some of the other episodes had. So a solid 9 out of 10. I was very happy with it. What about you? I would give it 8 Airs and Zeeks out of 10. It was just a very chill episode. Not necessarily a filler, but what I appreciated about it, and I guess with Attack on Titan as a whole, is that the series has always been successful at bringing things full circle, and I think that is on full display with this episode in particular. Um, it also wrestles with the potential for Eldia's bloody history to kind of repeat itself, which I think we see Armin fervently hope against, but then we also see Aaron fervently seem to tout. But I think the biggest question coming out of this episode is, you know, in a Titan Eat Titan world, is there much else to expect but a bloody end to this whole conflict? And that wraps up this special episode of Strictly Anime. New special episodes release every Wednesday following the new episode of Attack on Titan. This is in addition to our regular schedule for Strictly Anime. You can follow us on Instagram at The Strictly Series and on Twitter at Strictly Series. And check out our website, thestrictlyseries.com, where you can reach out to us to share your thoughts on Attack on Titan. You'll also find more info on Strictly JoJo, our other podcast dedicated to JoJo's Bizarre Adventure. Thank you so much for listening. And as always, stay safe, stay healthy, stay weeb. Sasageo. Shinzo wa Sasageo.